Every once in a while, I'm asked if I'm a golf player. I tell them, no, I play golf. I'm not a golf player. There's a big difference. Um, There's a period in time when I was interested in playing golf more than I am now. And I would go to the driving range and about once a week and I'd play several times a year. And then the second child came and I started playing golf maybe twice a year. The third child came and maybe one time a year I might play. Uh, if, the, if we have a church golfing uh, outing, I, I might show up. And so when you play one time a year, it's always exciting when you get to that first tee. Because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you come up to that ball and you swing like, man, I wonder where it's going to go. This is interesting. And so you, you get up there and, and uh, you tee it off. And I'm, I'm somewhat of a novice to the terms of all the golf language. And my father-in-law instructs me in these things. And, and so I've, I've learned the word mulligan. It's, it's a wonderful word. I, I don't know exactly what it means. But I do know that if I come to that first tee and, I, and it doesn't go at all the direction I wanted it to go. And in the woods or in a, you know, hit a house or something like that. Then you say, mulligan. All right, okay, well, you know, you go again. It doesn't count against you. For some reason, they don't let me do that every hole. Um, you know, it would be a wonderful thing. But, you know, in our life, sometimes, spiritually, I just want to call mulligan. You know, I was just like... Wow, I didn't realize that that decision would bring me to this point. God, can I call a mulligan? Can I go back and let's do this over again and pretend this didn't happen? Well, you find in today's text that Jacob is calling a mulligan. Um, I mean, if you remember, those of you who are with us and those who weren't, I'll just kind of give you a little review. Uh, you know, Jacob, he's... He's trying to get back home. God's called him to go back to his homelands. He's been uh, away and uh, found a couple of wives to marry him, uh, concubines. Uh, he's kind of got himself in trouble time and time again, especially with his uncle Laban, deceiving one another, uh, being deceived. And God says, it's time to go back home. And, and so it's been the process of coming back home. He met up with his, his brother Esau, who hated him, wanted to kill him. But God restored their relationship in a miraculous fashion. And on the way, he had an encounter with God in flesh, wrestling with him. God changes his name to Israel uh, from Jacob, which uh, hints at being a deceiver. Uh, supplanter and so you think all right things are going well jacob you're doing you're doing good but instead he kind of he ends up in this area called shechem he was supposed to go back to his homeland uh to the land of his fathers he's pretty close i mean he's about 30 miles away uh, he's crossed the Jordan River. This is a good area for his livestock. He's got a lot of livestock. And so he's looking at this is going to sustain my economics. This is, this is good for me financially if I just stay in this area. Uh, but, man, you start realizing something about his sons. The sins of the father are coming out uh, in a major way in the sons. And last week we saw the terrible episode of his daughter being raped. And he not really taken the initiative of justice his brother or his sons come and to the to lead in this thing and they don't just do justice they do vengeance and they wipe out a whole village genocide kill all the men and capture the women the children and all the goods therein wow <laughs> you look at this like is this jacob is, is, is this really 
This is the patriarch, you know, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, this is who he is. This is what his family has become. And we ask ourselves, well, Jacob, where's the one that was pleading for God's blessing? What happened to you? We find out as we, as we study the chronology, especially of, of the sons, Joseph, is, whose age is given, we realize that, that Jacob has spent probably about 10 years in Shechem, in this land. He is comfortable in a place of financial prosperity, but it's in that spot that life breaks up on him hard. And he looks around and he says, man, all these neighbors are going to get me now. This place now, Shechem, is no longer a place of peace but now has become a place of strife, a place of rape, a place of murder. Oh. And so he wants a mulligan. God comes in and intervenes and helps him with this. And here's the good news. Is that for those of you who are wanting mulligans in your heart and life. There are things like that can, that can be provided. You're sitting there and there's a dryness in your heart. There is an answer that God can provide. And I think this chapter <coughs> is a great chapter to teach us how to get back right with God. And so knowing that, let's kind of read this text together. Knowing what's in front of us. Uh, we're going to look at some very important lessons. Four important lessons in getting back right with God. And then let's just read the text together. Let's stand as we do so in honor of this passage. You read silently as I read aloud. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they came to Jacob, or so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. Because there God hath revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried under oak below Bethel. So he called his name Alon Bakuth. And God appeared to Jacob again when he came from the dam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. All nation and company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I give to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him. And a pillar of stone. And poured out a drink offering on it. And poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel, when they had still, were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor, and she had a hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. 
Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Edar. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Zippah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob, who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his son Esau and Jacob buried him. You may be seated. The story of the patriarchs is about to refocus. Uh, we've been with Jacob for a while, but we're starting to see a transition from, from Jacob uh, into going uh, to Joseph and the sons. Everything we've heard of the sons so far has been really bad, really heinous. And it gives us a foretaste of things to come, an explanation of, of what is about to happen. Now, uh, we see right here from the very, very beginning what God says to Jacob. You need to go back. Notice the, the wording here he puts. He says, rise and go up to Bethel. He didn't say just leave and go. He said two words, rise and go up. In other words, wake up. <laughs> wake up, Jacob. You've been here for 10 years. Look at what's going on around you. Do you like how life has been treating you? You've been doing it on your own here. How's it going for you? Wake up and then go back to Bethlehem. Now, or Bethel. Now, we can understand his reasoning. I mean, he's just 30 miles away from home. 30 miles away from dad. It's interesting, he has not yet met his dad again. The one that he's lied to and cheated. He's not gone. And that 30 miles, though it's so close, yet in his heart is so far away. And wanting to confront his dad again. You know, sometimes if we're not careful... It, we can say, well, it's close. We hear God giving us direction. So, well, I'll just do this. It, that's close to what God has told us to do. You remember, this is the Jacob back in Genesis, uh, I believe 28, where he said, I want to, if, if God is true to me, I will go back to Bethel. I'll come back here. He made that vow to God in Genesis 28. He's not yet done it, but he's only 30 miles away. Friends, you need to understand and remember something here. Realize that close is not obedience. Realize that close is not obedience. He is being close and he has been close for 10 long years. But God's saying, Jacob, continue. You're close, but you're not there. And until you're there, you're not in obedience. Understand that. One of our our daughters has had problems with the seatbelt all her life. From baby seat all the way now to, to, to seat belt. And I found that uh, she likes to get close to being obedient. Uh, and I've seen y'all do the same. Especially some of you guys. You never did like the seat belt law. <laughs> and so you, you take that and if you see a policeman come, you just kind of, you know, put it over your shoulder like that, you know. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen her do that. You know, just, I say, look, you haven't put the seat belt on. I mean, you got to hear it click, you know, just click it. <laughs> and until you hit the click around you, you're not in obedience because being close isn't going to help you in a car accident. It might make things worse being close. 
And so there is a huge difference. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just a foot difference, but that one foot difference can save your life. Guys, I don't care that you're not used to it and you feel restrained, but you know, being in the hospital is much worse. And so I say the same thing to you that as I say to my daughter, you've got to get that thing on. Everyone's, I, I'm going to do it one day. I'm just going to slam on the brakes. <laughs> I'm just going to slam on the brakes. You know, there's a point where you have to tell them it's too much, you know, and I don't know, that's just the cruel side of me, I guess. Um, but nonetheless, close isn't going to work. Three plus one, five, that's close. Can you just let it go? There, there's a difference between right and wrong, and there's some things where being close doesn't work. And when it comes to being obedient to God, close is not enough. And, and sometimes we just want to present the image that we're being obedient. Let me just look like, appear that I'm, I'm being obedient. Let me appear that I'm God. Let me, let me appear that I'm trusting in God. But God knows your heart, and He knows the difference between close and appearance, between who you are and who you want to present yourself to be. And so though Jacob may appear like he's godly, God's saying, you're not yet finished. Recognize, realize the difference that that close is not being obedient. And so he says, look, go on to Bethel, make it that 30 miles journey. But, you know, here for his credit, those 30 miles, though it's close, it's a huge difference geographically. Man, that's arid territory. God, don't you know if I just go those 30 miles, my sheep... My camels, my goats, they're not going to have grass to eat. I'm going to have a great reduction in my crops or in my livestock. My, my portfolio is going to go down. My retirement's going down. If I just do that, God, don't you understand the hit I'm going to take? God says, you know what? Let me just take, take care of that. I am El Shaddai. That's what he says, God Almighty. And so he says, I want you to continue on. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. In other words, Jacob, it's been a long time. It's been now about 30 years since you first had this encounter with Jacob's ladder. Remember that in the story of Bethel in Genesis 28 where God appeared to him and said, I am the way. I, I, you have access to me before God. And he made this vow. It's been 30 years when, when you fled from your brother. Go back and do what you said you would do. And verse 2, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with them, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Here we see Jacob taking the lead. For a while now, he's not been taking the lead, letting his sons do it. But now he's stepping up to the plate. What is he doing? When you get back with the Lord, if, if you're in a time when you're spiritually dry and you're thinking, where is my relationship with the Lord? It's not what it used to be. There's some things that you could point to. I use the word dry as an acronym. It could be a lack of dependence, a lack of repentance, or a lack of yielding. Those are three good possibilities to look at. A lack of dependence, a lack of repentance, or a lack of yielding. If you find that yourself in a spiritual dry point, look at those areas first and see, is there something there that you're, you're not being dependent, you're not repenting in, you're not yielding. But what do you do? There's, there's things when you, when, when you look back... And there's times when you're most close with God. Here's what God told Jacob to do. Redo. Redo the last thing I told you to do. Redo the last command of God. You want to get back right with God? Yes, first realize that being close is not enough. But also, what was the last thing God told you to do? 
What was the last clear direction from the Lord? Think back to that time and start doing that. Whatever it is God told you last to do. That point of departure of spiritual intimacy between you and the Lord. And so that's what he, he essentially Jacob does. He says, okay, God's told me to go back to Bethel. That's the last thing he told me to do is go back to this area. So he says, I'm going to do it. Now, notice that in doing that, there are some steps that you've got to do. He says, look, uh, you know, we're going to go back. We're going to go to Bethel. You need to understand Bethel's a special place. This is the house of God. That's what the word means. I said, the last time I was there, I had a huge vision and I realized of God's presence there. We can't just go there as we are. Jacob had the sense to look around and realize that some things need to be changed in his life. So what is he needing change? Verse two, it's kind of startling, actually. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Jacob, you got foreign gods in your family? Evidently. Well, we kind of got a hint of that when they left Laban and his beloved wife, Rachel, stole one of the idols of his father. Carried it with him. Hid it under the saddlebag. Evidently, it's still there. And not only is it still there, we find that that's been multiplied. We know that when they came to Shechem and raided that city, undoubtedly they would have stolen some of the idols that were there. And now, not only is it Rachel, but evidently throughout the family, there is a, a, a well, a multiple of gods that they're, that they're worshiping, they're bowing down, they're looking to for help and strength. And, he said, and Jacob realizes that, he says, we can't do this. This is not the kind of God we serve. God is not content with many different objects of worship. That's still true, guys. In your heart and life, God is not content to be one of many things that you will devote yourself to. That before most, you devote yourself to God. For some, the idol is a career success. It's the consuming desire to earn a powerful promotion or make more money or have the respect of one's colleagues. Everything else, even the family, is subordinated to this goal of career success. For others, it's affluence. To collect all the junk that people says that we've got to have to look good in this world. To spend inordinate times of studying the stock market and work investments. I think God is revealing that idol for what it is. For some, we worship personal fulfillment. Even if it means divorcing our spouse. After all, God wants me to be happy, right? Well, it depends if happiness is your God. For some, it's the pursuit of leisure. There's no time for personal or family devotions. There's no time for getting to know your lost neighbors. There's no time to serve in the church that God's placed you in, the community that God's put you in. But there's ample time for TV, movies, video games, sports, and other hobbies. Let me just ask by your life, what are your idols? Put them away and make sure God is first. That's what Jacob was playing. And not only is he saying, put, put away these gods, put away the trappings of this God. Uh, the, the earrings. Evidently, the earrings had some kind of uh, connection with idol worship of that day and time. I'm not telling you ladies that you need to do that nowadays, uh, unless you're worshiping an idol with them. <laughs> uh, then you won't want to get rid of those, all right? But... That's the, the connection at that time. And so he put away the traffic. And then it says, purify yourselves and change your garments. Now, take a bath. Uh, you know, that day and time, they don't take baths every day necessarily like we do. But for that time, to take a bath was a, not just a, a physical thing. It was a symbolic gesture of, I'm getting rid of the old. 
and I'm putting on a new lifestyle. I'm, I'm separating myself. I'm getting rid of the trappings. Perhaps maybe it's to get rid of the trappings of the old entertainment or the old ways of dressing or the old music or the old attitudes that we've had or the old patterns of speech that we've had. But there is to be a removal, a separating of the trappings of the old life. Jacob is calling a mulligan. He says, I don't want any part of my last stroke because it was ugly. And I realize I don't want to go that direction anymore. And then he says, let us arise and go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God. Interesting, in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, God is, is giving a word to the church of that day, uh, the church of Ephesus. And he says, you know what, I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. You've abandoned the love you had at first. So what does he tell him to do? In Revelation chapter 2, 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you, remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Here's the thing. Here's one of the things. If you want to get back right with God, what was the last thing God clearly told you to do? Revisit it and do it again and separate yourselves from the old trappings of your lifestyle. And then we keep on reading. He explains this in verse 3. He, he goes to Bethel, makes there an altar. Or he tells them, we're going to go to Bethel. We're going to make an altar to the God, to our God. And notice what he says about God. Who answers me in the day of my distress. Has been with me wherever I have gone. He's been with me wherever I have gone. He says... Let me tell you a little bit about my God. My God is the God of grace. My God is the God of mercy. I've seen that God has been especially kind to me. And it is the kindness of God, interesting enough, that draws him back to himself. It reminds me of Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You know, that's what God does for us. I think back in times of my life when I know I've got sin in my life. And sometimes I've got a dread. I know I've got to confront God about this. I've got to talk to him. And it's just, I'm just kind of sitting on that thing. Because I'm not looking forward to it. You know, I don't know, maybe I associated with confrontations I had with my dad. Where I got lectured forever. You know, I think, oh, here we go again. But interesting enough, God intervenes. And instead of giving me lecture... And necessarily more punishment. God does something good in my life. He gives me something. Right? And there's a, an encounter that occurs that tells me that God loves me. And it melts me like nothing else could. And I get on my knees before God and say, God, here I was. I was thinking that you would be really hard on me. And this was going to be a very painful moment. Of dread because you're a holy God. But I find that with your holiness there is a love and a mercy. And instead of all this punishment, you gave me a graceful thing. A merciful thing. And God woos me. He draws me back with his love. That's an amazing thing. And then I get on my knees and say, God, forgive me for how I've treated you. You have been so merciful and good to me. Here's a key thing. In getting back right with God, remember the grace of God. Remember the grace of God. 
we were um, when we were visiting in Israel, we were in the uh, southern region of east of Jordan and very dry, very arid. In fact, this is part of the land where the Israelites were wandering for 40 years before they went into the promised land because of their sin. And uh, they warned us, drink a lot of water and they give us, you know, quarts and pints of water. And so you need to drink several of these a day while we're out here. I would get out there and it filled Kind of, it felt kind of normal. It felt a little dry, but nothing spectacular. Not like the hundred some degrees heat that we have sometimes here. And and I got there. And next thing I know, I feel nauseated. I'm like, man, this is not good. I'm gonna, they're going to drop me off in a gas station somewhere here in the desert because I can't go on. And I get concerned. And and folks will say, well, you know, you need to drink some water. I'm like, no, I don't feel like drinking water. You know, when you when you're sick, you're nauseated. You just don't want to drink water. But they said, no, you're not thinking right. You need to drink water. I said, okay. Not because I wanted to, but because they told me to. I had forgotten the qualities of water. And sure enough, when I got over that nausea and drank that water, it was the very solution that sent the nausea away. We can get so dry in our life spiritually that we no longer desire the word of God. And that is the effect of of sin in our heart, of a callous heart toward God. We don't want to read the word of God. We don't want to pray. And honestly, we don't want to be around God's people. You can always tell when folks start drifting because they start slowly uh, missing the opportunities of, of meeting with God's people. Something always comes up. And next thing you know, something always comes up a little bit more and more. And next thing you know, it's, it's like you see them once a month, perhaps. And, and it's the very thing that can help them is what they go away from. It is the grace of God. We forget about the nature of God. He is the water through our soul. When we feel like we don't want to have any water, it is that which we need. And so I implore you, go on your knees again before God and ask God for forgiveness And seek him. Seek his word. And you'll see that God can bring a healing to your heart. And so this is what Jacob remembers. And so they they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had. The rings that were in the ears. Jacob hid them on the terramith trees that were near Shechem. Interesting. Where he did this. The trees near Shechem. This is in Genesis 12, 6. Where Abraham first built an altar here. And the trees near Shechem. Interesting. Several years, hundreds of years later, in Joshua 24, verse 15, when the people, the nation of Israel, not just the person of Israel, but the nation of Israel, now is going back into this promised land, Joshua stops near Shechem. And he calls them to do the exact same thing that Jacob is doing here. He says, Israel... You people of Israel, your father once did this, let's do it again. you got to choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether you're going to serve the gods of the Amorites or the ones who are beyond this river. But as for me, this day I will choose to serve the Lord. Put away your idols. We're about to go in promised land. Perhaps maybe he got a clue from Israel himself and followed the same line. And so verse 5, as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. And so the very thing that uh, he was afraid of, Jacob was afraid of these people coming on him, when he got his heart right to God and started obeying him, God turned it around and gave him security. And so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people were with him and built an altar and called the place El Bethel, which literally means God of the house of God. El Bethel, 
Because there God revealed himself to when he had fled from his brother. But verse 8, we start seeing some, some deaths occur. Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. It's kind of a shock. of Who is this Deborah person uh, that's being mentioned here? That uh, evidently is a time of severe mourning uh, that... Now, Alan Bakuth means oak of weeping. She dies. Essentially, she is Rebecca's nurse. That's Rebecca, the mother, the mother of Jacob. This is Deborah, who came with Rebecca when she left her home. Remember when the servant Abraham came and asked for a wife to be for their son? This is a long, long time ago. She's been with Rebecca a long time. It could very well be that this one was the nursemaid for Jacob as well. Uh, when she joins up with Jacob, we do not know. It could be the messenger that Rebecca promised that she sent. She could have come after Rebecca died. We do not know. But nonetheless, she no doubt represents in many ways the mother to Jacob. And so there is a passing that occurs. In verse 9, God appears to Jacob again. Now he's in the place of obedience. And we find that God gives further blessing. There is blessings in the place of obedience. And we see it spelled out right here. And says, look, you know, let me remind you of something. <clears throat> I changed your name once. Let me remind you again what your name is. Israel. It's no longer Jacob. Sometimes we need that too. Some of you once gave your heart to Jesus Christ and you made Jesus your Lord and Savior. And, and you decided, I'm going to bear the name Christian. I'm going to follow of Christ. But you've not acted much like Christ. And God says to you, let me remind you again what name you bear. You bear Christ on your name. And so he reminds Jacob of his name. And, and, and then he says, look, I'm going to give you some promises. In verse 11, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. You need to know this because you, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you promises that require an almighty God. He says, the promise is this, that you'll be fruitful, multiply a nation, a company of nations shall come for you. Kings shall come from your body of the land that I give to Abraham Isaac. I will give to you. I'll give the land to your offspring after you. This is the same promise we've seen repeated to Abraham, to Isaac, and multiple times to each of them as well to Jacob. And then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in that place when he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on him, poured oil on it, which is a way of setting apart of worship to, to God. Did you know that if you went into uh, a site, an ancient site called Gezer, uh, in that area, there are still some huge stones set up. This was a, a, evidently a pretty common practice where they may, would remember uh, significant events and treaties. And they put up these huge stones. The problem is no one knows what those stones represent anymore uh, in, in Gezer. And so that's what, that's what uh, Jacob does here. It's fascinating. We kind of see a little camping on this idea in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 6. When he says this, Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, are you a living stone? When you live your life, how you live your life, how you talk, do you remind someone of God? Are you a living stone? The idea was that anybody that passed this area of Bethel would be reminded of something that God did in Jacob's life. First Peter tells us, implores us, be living stones. Represent God to the people around you. And so we, we see that uh, it continues on. And then they journeyed from Bethel. Now we're going to see that it, 
it takes a kind of a, a difficult turn here. From this point on, we've seen the heartache of Jacob losing his mom, of his, his mother's servant. But we see this heartache multiply. Here's something that we need to remember. When we renew our life with the Lord and rededicate our hearts, it's good to remember the grace of our God. It's good to realize that being close is not enough. It's good to redo the things that God first told us, but we've got to understand. We've got to recognize something. We've got to recognize there's still consequences for sin. There's still consequences for sin. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to get right with God and, and maybe I can get out of this. And our, and our goal is not necessarily to get right with God, but as much as to avoid pain. That's not going to necessarily happen. Now, I'm going to say there are consequences of our sin, not punishments. Jesus took care of the punishment of our sin. But that doesn't mean the consequences are no longer there. We're going to see these consequences come in Jacob's life. First, Rachel dies. Uh, there's some distance from Ephrath. Uh, Rachel went into labor, uh, hard labor. And it's interesting what she had to say as she has her son being born. Ben-Oni, which means son of my trouble. <laughs> uh, son of my sorrow. It's like calling um, your son depression. You know, it's good that Jacob came and changed his name. You, you don't want to be called depression. Uh, and so he changes this name to son of my right hand, our, our position of strength, son of my strength. Interesting. Wouldn't be too far from this area where God's son of right hand would be born in Bethlehem, his son of strength. And so in that process, Rachel died. Let me bring up two points that makes this a little bit ironic. In Genesis chapter 31, Rachel made a plea to her husband, give me children or else I die. Interesting enough, she does die in the process of giving birth to her second son. Another interesting point, in Genesis chapter 31 verse 32, Laban confronts Jacob and says, someone stole an idol and Jacob says simply this, he who you find with the idol, let them die. Laban never found uh, the idol that was hidden under Rachel's saddle. Seems kind of interesting that in this point of purifying themselves, of purifying the idols, that the one who introduced the idol to the family and carried the idol with the family is now dead. Just kind of an interesting note, even though she was the one that he loved the most. I understand there may be some consequences when it comes to getting your life right with God. God will do whatever it takes to rid the idols in your heart. And so Jacob mourns, puts a pillar over her tomb, which is there to this day as Moses wrote this. And Israel journey and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Ader. And then he says, Israel lived in the land... And then this interesting note, Reuben, this is the oldest son of Leah, went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. <laughs> and ask yourself, did that have to be included? I mean, that's... <clears throat> we, we get the idea that it's not lust working here, as it may have been the case with Dina. Bilhah would have been right much older <laughs> than reuben and so uh i don't think it's the lust aspect what was reuben doing 
we find in the Bible that one of the strategies when you usurp somebody and try to get the rightful place or get the place of authority from someone, there was a tradition where you would take their wives or their concubines and make them for your own. We see that with David. We see that with Absalom. We see that with with Solomon as well uh, when someone tried to usurp the throne from him. Reuben is trying to take the authority away from Jacob. He's attacking it. He says, I'm going to be with a concubine. I'm going to make sure this, this was Rachel's concubine. I don't want to make sure that his affections doesn't go to Rachel, but it goes back to my mom, Leah, and I'm going to let him know he's lost it. I'm the one in charge now. Fascinating. Remember how Jacob, striving for a blessing, cheated his father, cheated his brother, just so he could get the birthright to be the one? And look what happens. His sons do the same to him. It's a bitter pill he's swallowing. But it's a pill of his own making. It's coming back to him. Let me just share something with you. Consequences are going to come. Uh, There will be a multiplication of our behavior. But notice, I want to just bring you to a passage in Micah chapter 7. I'm going to read this to you. Micah chapter 7 verse 7 9. He writes, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to light. I will look upon his vindication. What is he saying? God, I need forgiveness. But listen, I am not trying to dodge the consequences that come my way. And a part of a repentant heart is saying, God, bring the consequences. And by your grace, by your strength, let me endure. And please relent when you see fit. I think about Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was one who was swept up in President Nixon's affairs in the 1970s, a part of his staff and, and, and consequently part of the crime uh, of what Nixon did. He was one that was called the hatchet man. And in his book, Born Again, he talks about the, uh, the atmosphere that brought him to the place of compromise politically and morally in his life. And in that midst of, of being found out and the conviction, he gets his heart right with God and surrenders his heart to Jesus. And so the question comes to him, what are you going to do now? Now that you know Jesus, are you going to try to dodge prison? And we find the exact opposite. Chuck Colson says, no. Whatever comes will come. I deserve what comes my way. And by the grace of God, I will continue on. And sure enough, you know, he does go to prison. But out of that comes a prison ministry. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, You're not going to enjoy the consequences that come. But if you do it with the grace of God, it's amazing how God can take our ash cloths and our our ashes and and our sorrow and bring rejoicing even out of that. And then we have the listing of the sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi. These are the three oldest. They disqualify themselves for blessings because of the bloodshed and Reuben's attempt on Jacob. Judah becomes the one who inherits the blessings of the firstborn. And we find that it is of the tribe of Judah that Jesus himself comes, as Jacob promised would happen in Genesis 49. And we have listed out the various other sons here. 
But then we come, he finally gets to his father in verse 27. He's finally here. And then he dies. <laughs> verse 28, now the days of Isaac were 180 years. Don't feel too sorry because I think when we look at scripture and we compare Joseph's age with Jacob's age, we realize that when we put these calculations together, there was about 12 years, 10 to 12 years that Isaac was together with Jacob. Isaac would have seen and witnessed Joseph being abused by his brothers and would have seen the heartbreak coming to Jacob. Isaac would have been there to see it coming back to his own son. So what do we learn from this? Well, you know, I've got a a new computer this past week and somewhat of a hassle in trying to get things installed. And I installed a software program for the the blackberry i was using and i don't know what i did something went wrong here's how i know i've received over a thousand emails on my blackberry (laughs) and they all have the same message do you know what a pain that is (laughs) you have to delete 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 like oh so if somebody sent an email may have got lost in my mass deleting and i gotta look back and think what happened i can't continue on in this way What do I do? First chance I get on Monday morning, I'm going to take that computer and I'm going to uninstall. It's a nice feature. I'm going to uninstall this program. I say, let's do this baby again. Because this isn't working. Some of you are in a state like that. You're living life and you've done the best you can, but you have not surrendered to God. And I'm just going to ask you, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? Some of you think, I'm having a jolly time. Great. God will let you continue that way until you're ready to listen. For Jacob, it took 10 years. But at the end of the time, he was looking at his sons who were a bunch of murderers. And the whole area was out to get him. And he realized, this isn't working for me. God, can you uninstall something for me? And here's the beautiful thing. He can. He can change your spiritual heart. There is forgiveness with God. As far as the east is from the west, so our sins can be removed from him in Psalm 103. He knows our frame. He knows that we're made of dust. And God gives us mercy accordingly. Yes, there are consequences. But he will will lead you through those consequences. And by the grace of God, what are sackcloths and ashes... What sorrow mourning God can bring into joy and laughter. It's an amazing thing. But that's our God. I just ask you to consider the nature of our God. He is graceful and merciful. Therefore, recognize that close is not enough. Realize that close is not enough. Remember the grace of God and redo the last thing that God told you to do. But recognize there will be consequences. And God will carry you through. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this truth of this passage, Lord. I thank you for Jacob. And that you chose to identify yourself as the God of Jacob. Because I can sure relate. I understand that. God, I pray that I don't have to have my fill of my sin. But Lord, that I will not continue, but that I will at the moment of your grace realized 
turn to you and say, God, once again, forgive me of my sin. Let me go back to the last thing you told me to do. And let me do it fully, wholeheartedly. Putting away the remnants of my old life. Not going to the same haunts, to the same places. But having a new way. I pray this in your name. Amen. I invite